You're listening to the Irish Times. Welcome to an umpire-free zone, Pat. Yes, we're not going to talk about anybody whose job it is to wave flags. No semaphore in this. Yes, we're not going to send out the pitchforks and torches to the poor lad who is standing down at the uh, Waterford goal the other day because he's having a bad enough week without us piling in. Exactly. Everybody's pointed out his, his errors. I don't think we need to dwell on them anymore. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it was in a, a mad weekend of hurling, uh, not so mad a, a weekend of football, so we'll skip uh, idly past that and uh, I can cry my Monaghan tears in, in private. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we, nobody needs to hear that. Nobody needs to hear that, no. Later on, we're going to talk to Jerry Thornley, who's out in Surfer's Paradise in Australia, ahead of Ireland's first test against them on Saturday. Uh, but first, we're going to talk a bit of hurling. Um, the... Round robin competitions are in full pace. And I thought, Pat, that it would be a good idea if instead of talking about the weekend's games particularly, that we did a kind of a midterm report. Exactly. See where everybody's at. I mean, it's it's been so much fun. Uh, we have Sean Moran and Nikki English in to talk to us about it. Thanks for coming in, lads. It's um, it has it has worked out, Nikki, uh, Every bit as well so far, the new structure as the people who put it together last year could have imagined. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a huge success, I think. And, you know, sure, look, the, the testament is there's three rounds played in Munster and actually does anybody know who's in, who's out? Uh, and it's been fantastic. You know, there, I think definitely the there need to be a tweak in terms of the timing of it. There, there are, there maybe is a little bit of an unfairness in relation to people. Some teams playing three weeks in a row, some teams playing four weeks in a row against teams that have had a break. I don't know how you fix that, by the way, with a five-team mm. group, but that would be the only the only slight uh, problem I've seen in it. But by and large, it's been a total success for me and really brought Hurland back in. You know, it's been fantastic. Everyone's looking forward to it. There's a great fever about it. The matches have been brilliant. Uh, draws, controversy, you know, it's great. Funny, myself and Pat were saying on Sunday, Sean, that the, how, uh, it's almost bald good luck, certainly in Munster, that the structure has come in at a time when the field is quite flat. Like, even sort of two years ago, if this structure had been in, you have you would feel that Tipperary would, could be miles out ahead of everybody and Limerick could have been miles back from everybody. But the, the field is quite flat at the minute. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, that's an important point to bear in mind. It's not quite a caveat, but it is a, the reality of it at the moment. I think for a long time, people have talked about the hurling championship in terms of, you know, the the, the smallness of the field. Um, traditionally, about twelve counties, ten counties at the uh, at the moment, plus whoever comes in through the McDonough Cup. But there has always been this kind of feeling uh, since I would suggest the league went round robin. Uh, back in 1997 or the, the league went calendar year in 1997 that if you have the best teams playing each other that there'd be great interest in that there's not enough hurling teams for them to be shedding themselves through pure knockout and that if they play each other all the time every week and it reminds me a bit of that time that first summer in 97 where there were great crowds and uh, big interest in it and that's happened but you do need for that that there is competitiveness 
uh, within the groups and they are blessed because I mean even in Leinster I mean never mind Munster you know 10, ten years ago when Kilkenny yeah. were uh, at full blast there'd be no point in, in, in this structure and they are lucky with that and it is a caveat in the future because yeah, hardly changes going to be like this. Yeah. it won't always be, <laughs> yeah, be, be yeah. like this but as it stands at the moment I mean it's it's fantastic look at the Munster the Munster table reads 4-3-2-1 like in terms of the, 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 the points and the, the amount of drama and particularly at the, at the weekend has been extraordinary and, and to see a crowd of 35,000 people in Cork on Saturday evening for, for, for a round robin match it's everything I think that the framers of the idea could have wished for We'll come back to actually the, the rest at the moment um, Nicky there's there's one kind of market leader though still in the championship at the moment. Galway have have been seriously impressive so far and at the moment they look like they're a couple of steps ahead of everybody else, don't they? Oh definitely, yeah. I, I had some question marks over Galway in, in the league, you know, they I saw them playing Wexford, I saw them playing Limerick and on both occasions they didn't seem to have a lot of energy or a lot of drive and lost on both occasions. But really since the, the championships, you know, since probably against Offaly, they might have been at their very best, but really They've dismissed Kilkenny very easily. And uh, I thought going down to Wexford Park might be awkward for them. Uh, now, obviously, Wexford were on the third day, which, you know, hasn't really been uh, beneficial to the teams that were on their third match in a row. But really, you know, there was a golfing class between Wexford and, and Galway. They seem to have trained on in, 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 in a way. They're physically very strong. Um, the likes of Parik Mannion is playing really, really well. Connor Whelan's outstanding. They've been able to bring in Con Cannon, a new player. Um, Joe Canning has maintained his imperious form for last year. And um, for me, yeah, they look they look well cut above the rest now at this stage. But, you know, it's, it's still early in, in, in some ways, but I, I find it hard to see who, who's... First of all, they're, they're going to be in the Leinster final. Kilkenny and, and Wexford play for the dubious uh, reward of actually playing them again in the Leinster final. And um, from there, I, I think it, they would be very hot favourites for me for to win the All-Ireland. It's funny, Sean, that, that exactly as you say, Nicky, the, the, the dubious honour of getting to the, to the league final. Like, is it, like, is it, you know, Wexford Kilkenny playing this weekend, uh, are you nearly better off not winning that? Are you nearly better off going and playing your next game against a, a McDonough Cup team? So just you float that one. Yeah, I'd Brian say that's Cody. Cody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I no, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think so. I mean, uh, and specifically taking Kilkenny. I mean, Kilkenny were you know an early example of the third week syndrome when they went to Salt Hill. Um, and although you know Galway were clearly better, um, it was Kilkenny's weakest display, I'd say, uh, trying to separate them from the, the opposition of their three matches to date. But they, they still had it tight until the last 10 minutes. I don't think they'd have any issues with going to, mm. to Croke Park and, and, and facing Galway again, particularly when they're in that underdog's position. I, I was trying to remember the last time that Kilkenny had lost under Cody when they were underdogs because they, they this uh, terrific capacity of winning when people thought they were going to be, be beaten. But, of course, with the evolution uh, at the moment, it is, it is, now, it is now happening. But, but I'd say they'd love to go to Croke Park and have another go at Galway and see how that would work out and, and and ditto Wexford because for Wexford not to do it I mean it's a step back on on last year and also you've got that Wexford Kilkenny subplot which has been you know part of the, the scene since uh, David Fitzgerald went into Wexford last year so I'd say it'll be it'll be, it'll be fairly smoky down in Nolan Park on Saturday 
I find one thing interesting though. Davy Fitz has already recommended that people back Kilkenny to win the game at the weekend. So that means we could end up with a Galway Kilkenny Leinster final and potentially a further meeting, a third meeting between Galway and Kilkenny and possibly Kilkenny being back with, with full uh, jets on, Richie Hogan and everybody back in uh, in, in, in row for them. Nicky, would, from Galway's point of view, the idea of playing a team and having to beat a Kilkenny team three times in one season, that, that sounds like a, a, a tough deal to be dealt. Yeah, well, I suppose, look, that's, we see how that one that one goes. Like the Leinster final is going. To, I I fancy Kilkenny to beat Wexford. If you asked me last before last weekend, I would have thought Wexford were were going to be the uh, the second team in Leinster. Um, but on the basis of their display in, against um, Galway last weekend, I think they, they're they're showing you know signs of weakness really in Wexford that they have maybe slipped a bit and maybe that their league form this year where they did slip. Uh, after initially a good start, what is, is actually is their real form, and um, I, I think in Nolan Park Kilkenny will 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 beat them. Um, to on the Leinster final side, I I I I struggle to see how Kilkenny can beat Galway based on on the current form. I think with with the championship now we're seeing in over the three or four weeks, obviously with on it on the three week side we're seeing a slight dip off, but you're getting a fairly fairly consistent. Read on what the form is, and and Galway's form looks to be just better than Kilkenny, really. Um, just to switch, uh, actually, Nicky, I'm going to ask you this one as well. Um, Tipperary are starting to look a little bit this season, kind of like the Mayo footballers of last year, where they're struggling to get themselves up for games, and then when they hit their rhythm, they can look unstoppable. Or even like Kilkenny in 2013. <clears throat> what do you think is going on there? Is it is it in their heads or is it in their legs or? Or where do you, where does that kind of swing come in games? It's less hard. Like I don't know. Can anyone answer that question? Really, even the players themselves. Uh, you know everything. There. You know after the Limerick match, everyone said, "Oh, there's something wrong in that camp. There's some. There's something underlying, and that's the reason why the performance in the league final and the performance backed up by the bad performance against Limerick. There's something underlying there, but there's not from from all I hear. Um, but in fairness, still, if there was something wrong in the camp, they wouldn't be making big comebacks. No, no, they wouldn't. Absolutely, you know, and, that's and, no, definitely. Not. You know, that's near enough the one thing you could yeah. almost kind of yeah. discount. Yeah, but it, actually, but the point is not really the comeback. The yeah. point is what's happening in the sixty minutes before, before, yeah. before we're just getting absolutely near the cliff to be thrown right out over it. That doesn't spur into action, and just the very minute that cliff appears, and we're hanging out over the cliff, we can get twelve points in the last. 10 minutes of games and there's there's been the consistency of performance if you if you if you take the level of consistency or the level of performance we're talking about from a Tipperary perspective just hasn't been good enough and it's been a combination of legs we just can't seem to get to the pace of the game until very 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 close to the end of it and also I think it, it's a combination it's confidence as well I mean you saw Parik Maher I suppose really he was he was at the, at the centre of the two goals that Walford got the first one he went to catch and he, when he didn't catch it, he chose not to catch to go to catch the second one mm. and he batted it back in, into play really. And that's just, that's a confidence thing. And, um, you know, Tipperary play better when, when they're winning matches. So we really haven't, we've never found that that win. So we've gone from a poorish display in the league semi-final but we got through it. Then the next game we were beaten soundly in Nolan Park and we've never really, bar for the half against Cork, 
really we've never been flowing, I would have thought. And that's that's a difficult scenario for, for Tipperary because they play better when they've they've a bit of they've a bit of confidence. I think if you look at it, the last five seventy minutes for Tipperary, that's league semi final, league final, mm-hmm. three round robin matches. Uh, they haven't won. They haven't won in in, se- in in seventy minutes. You know, I mean that the even the league semi final win went went to extra time. I, I think it's never a good sign for for a team where they're not getting consistency of performance from players. Like different players are kind of putting out the fires every week, and others are getting pulled off and you know for for for, for not performing. It looks a it's it looks a very scattergun sort of. Uh, uh, you know, situation at the moment for, 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 from their point of view. And I I would say what it seems to betoken to me is that a team that's that's kind of tired, that's running a bit on empty now at at this stage. Um and it it would be a surprise, you feel, if if they if they can really get the season back on track. I know that the you get these matches where you you defy death and they're mm-hmm. transformative and you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But from Tip's point of view, they you know they had that in the second half against Cork, and I would argue both then and last Sunday, they, their comebacks put them into winning positions. Except they failed to win. Indeed, yeah. And I, I, it just it, it doesn't look as if it's it's, it's coming together. For I them. thought it was interesting just at the, the near enough the first play of the game for Tipperary the the last day. Uh, Noel McGrath won a free. And it was a regulation enough free early in the game, you know, get get the team settled. But he was fist pumping as if it was, you know, the second free in a comeback. It was a, it 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 almost looked like he was trying too hard, or that they were trying too hard, or it 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 looked kind of almost inappropriate for what was a regulation free at the start of a game. I don't know what that says, but it kind of jumped out at me. Yeah, it was very noticeable actually when he did that. It, like you said, it was as if he'd won a free to equalise the game in the last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like it was an attempt. Maybe he recognised because Noel McGrath, in fairness, has been terrific so far. He has for been tip. about the only sort of consistent. Yeah, thing, and he's and been kind of setting the, two the Cork games, or Cork halves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's he feels like he's been setting the tone for them a little bit. So maybe that's what he was attempting to do again. Maybe he sensed that they were coming in a little bit flat. Nicky, you were at the, the Limerick-Cork game on, on Saturday night. I must say Limerick have been a, a kind of a revelation for me. And I'd say maybe not for, for the likes of you that would have seen an awful lot of the, the UL players through through the winter and that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I, I came away certainly from that game going, God, what what a likeable team. Apart from whatever whatever else they bring in terms of skill and whatever. But, God, such a likeable side to to do what they did the other night. Yeah, yeah. No, they, I, I've been I've been watching out for Limerick for a while now. Mm. Well, the last the last year or so, yeah. and I thought even last year against Kilkenny, they had very little belief up in Nolan Park. But like they they were capable on the night of actually upsetting Kilkenny in that game. But even through the league, you know, they went up to Galway. They gave Galway effectively a goal and five or six points start. They were horrendously wasteful themselves. And they still won by a point or two points up there and showed unbelievable spirit, which they repeated against Clare in the quarterfinal. You know, there was several times they looked to be done and dusted and they came back and eventually won on the, on the, the famous 65s. And against the Brewery in the league semi-final, you could argue that if the if they got another minute or two against the Brewery in that game, they were going to be right back as well, having conceded two terrible goals. So... There's they they have actually the pedigree really if you if you when you dig into it the last number of years the Limerick colleges have dominated the Fitzgibbon Cup which in itself wouldn't necessarily mean that it's Limerick players because because they're not they mightn't be from Limerick in the first place 
but they typically they have been from Limerick. You know, you have Burns with LIT, you have um, Lynch with with uh, Kimmage, with yeah. Mary Eye yeah, yeah. and Galan with Mary Eye, and then you have this a squadron of them with UL mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and they all have been successful, and they all not alone are one of them winning it, but but three out of four of them, you know, three out of four of the semi-finalists are Limerick teams mm-hmm. typically for the last few years. And then in their under 21 success last year, like they're beating Tipperary by 20, 21 points in, in the, the Munster Championship. Tipperary won the minor year the year before. Yeah. Do you know? So yeah. they're not, we're not, they're not all Sarans. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but John Kiley has done a good job. They've steadied up, you know, they've become very, very efficient. So as Sean has been talking there about Tipperary, kind of a scattergun approach, Limerick's plays fairly fairly consistent you know they have a pattern to their play they use the ball well a lot of it goes through Lynch in the middle of the field who's an outstanding player and uh, you know they've improved their defence Seamus Hickey wasn't you know he looked out of position against Tipperary he was giving away a freeze conceding freeze they've changed that brought in Mike Casey he was really really good the other night and importantly they've cut down the wastefulness that they had during the league you know since the first half they were wasteful against Tipperary in the first half but thereafter they were they weren't, and uh, so they were. I, I, I was really impressed with them the other night. No, mm-hmm. I, I think they certainly wouldn't have deserved to lose the match, even though they played with fourteen men. Stupid, stupid decision by Aaron Galan. So if they can actually, if if Limerick can keep their heads as as the as the uh, they go higher up into the championship, then they're a team that could uh, could test Galway. I think as well about Limerick that uh, what you see of at the weekend and have seen this season is that they are really hard to put down. They don't get discouraged. Yeah. Um, you know, in that semi-final against Tip in, in the league, they kept coming. As Nicky said, they might have won it at the end. Look at the, the other night in, in Cork. I mean, they're in Parky Cueve, uh, which has been, you know, traditionally as strong a fortress as you get in, in, in Munster Hurling. Uh, they're down to 14 men in the first half. Cork at the goal in the second half. And, you know, it's all against them but they still somehow resisted yeah. the, 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 the whole thing I think it's been very 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 impressive uh, fr- from them and uh, probably you know the the most interesting development in amongst the, the hurling counties even this just summer their level of stickiness like even like even what, what Graham Mulcahy was doing oh, to, to Mark Coleman unbelievable like, you know, like Mulcahy and Flanagan had yeah. an unbelievable job to do yeah. because they were like two Cork, against three up there Cork yeah. played the ball very very well mm. and Nash uses the ball from the puck out a lot of Cork's Cork's uh, game is actually based nearly on the restart and the puck out where they use the ball. We saw it against Tiberi. When that breaks down, as it did in the second half against Tiberi, as it did last year against Waterford in the All-Ireland mm. semi-final, and as it did Limerick, and it was Flanagan and Mulcahy, and it's just who disruption. They yeah. broke it down. Yeah. And then the whole, like Cork like Mulcahy got two, two blocks on, on, on young Coleman, and Coleman looks like a prince when yeah. he's on the ball. Yeah. And he was rattled, his next one he put out yeah. over the end line. And, like, and just, just to, you know, that moment where they clashed into one another on the yeah. sideline, where Mulcahy, like, that was straight after half time. Mm. And it, that was very important in the overall context of the game because Coleman was dominating as the sweeper. And he was the free man. Yeah. And he was just, as you say, he looks fantastic. In, in, and I'd never seen him do that before, actually, mm-hmm. to be honest. But he lost his head following that incident and was blocked down twice. And he had another one over the end line, which Shane Kingston couldn't get to. So, yeah, Limerick are, I tell you, Limerick are going to be hard to beat. They're, they're really fighting it out to the end. And they're using the ball well. They're smart. And they need to probably get a bit more out of Kyle Hayes. He hasn't been as good as I expected him to be. 
and he gave away a few a lot of silly frees there at the weekend as well. He was when they when they conceded the frees, it, they, he gave away three or four of them. But if they get him motoring, and by the way, they lost Hannon as well, who's their linchpin at centre back. You know, mm. and that's so. It, not alone, six minutes, not alone yeah. did did they lose him. Have a man sent off. Be down in Parky Cueve where they wouldn't have a great record, but nothing phased them really, and they kept going and going and going. And um, I'd be very interested to see how they'll how they'll get keep going and improve because I I think they have great potential. Sean, where does this leave Cork? They're the only unbeaten team in Munster, yet you can like they played for thirty five minutes, more than thirty five minutes against fourteen men the last day and didn't come out on top of it. They lost the huge lead against Tipperary. It feels a little bit like they have a terrific way of playing, but once the other opposition figures out that way of playing, plan B mightn't be anywhere near the standard of plan A. I think what it seems to suggest is that um, in on, on, a, on a placid sea with a fair wind, they cork travel very fast and when it gets choppier, their game doesn't seem to endure when it comes under pressure. Um, and I'm not sure that there's a, I'm not sure how that improves for them uh, as 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 they go on. Uh, you know they've they've done well. They are unbeaten, uh, as you say, and they've hurled really well at at times. But in terms of just being able to, you know, put matches away because I mean if if Tipperary had momentum in Thurles, you know Cork had the nine point lead that they they failed to hang on to. They also had the one man advantage last Saturday and uh, and the second half lead that they couldn't they couldn't protect. Uh, I think you know that it, it, what's what's going to be interesting over the next few weeks is because uh, we were talking about it before. What everyone assumed that Waterford uh, were just a discard really mm. in in the championship after all the woes they suffered at the weekend in Ennis. Um, and I was wondering last weekend. You know, it's I wonder will will Waterford create trouble for someone along the way and I didn't expect it to be as quickly as, as, as that um, and you know if they can take points off of teams it looks it looks less of a gimme now for teams play, playing Waterford mm-hmm. so it's a, a huge weekend because if Limerick get the points against Waterford you, you suspect they will you know it's back in the Gaelic rounds uh, etc um, that's that's a great step forward for them but critically in, in Thurles Tip and Clare I wonder about the, the three-week rule and so it would be a four-week rule for, for Tip. But I feel Tip are impervious to it because they're, you know, they, they just don't seem to the obey the logic. rhythms of it at all. Like, well, they also haven't uh, played for two and they have Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, 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 they haven't put together the two good matches before the slump. So you wonder how how that will go. And I think it's it's, it's going to be, be, be pivotal because, I mean, if, 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 if Tip win, um, Clare are under, under huge pressure then you know to to go forward and obviously I think if if, if Clare win it's going to be nearly impossible mm-hmm. for, for 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 Tip so it's a big weekend coming up in it's Munster. massive and I think that's we'll we'll wrap it up but isn't that the the greatest thing about it so far is that you're sitting here on a Tuesday and you're dying for the weekend now you're absolutely the two games in Munster on the weekend fair you know fair enough the the Dublin Galway game is is the uh, the famed uh, dead rubber it couldn't be more dead on on Saturday night so we can discard it. Kilkenny Wexford big game with Leinster semi final in effect, and then the two games in Munster on on Sunday you couldn't you couldn't pick in a month of Sundays like well, you, you know you, yeah. you're and, and but you're 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 dying to get to particularly them. Munster. I mean, yeah. Leinster has done its best under its kind of structural circumstances, but everything is decided there. Like we're just not quite sure who's 
going to get the, yeah. the what Nicky referred Sixth to as the, the unfortunate uh, task <laughs> of playing Go in the, in the Leinster final. But whoever loses that survives, goes go, course, goes forward. Yeah. In Munster, teams are playing for their very survival. Yeah. You know that they, they, that only three teams will be still in the championship. You know, in, mm. in two weeks' time. Well, long may it live. Uh, listen, thanks a million lads for coming in, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you as the summer goes along. Thanks a million. To Australia we go. Uh, I don't know why I said that as if uh, we've only just cracked the technology of talking to Australia, but let's do it anyway. Uh, Jerry Thornley is over there. Um, Ireland have a three-test tour starting on Saturday. Jerry, how are you keeping? Very well, thanks, Monarchy. Very well. Um, this um, first test on Saturday, I've seen some stuff, uh, some words from Joe Schmidt along the way over the past week or so, where he says he's going to... The, the point of the tour is to trial things. What things is he talking about? Um, well, definitely different combinations will be high on, on that list. Um, he's brought 32 players here. And if you look back on previous tours to the Americas and Japan last summer and to South Africa the previous summer, um, he's tended to juggle his resources a bit, treated a little differently from uh, Six Nations campaign, which is more... The more emphasis, I suppose, on going all out to, for the wins. This offers the last tour before the World Cup in 2019 when he would be allowed to bring 31 players like everybody else the squad. So I think this is a little bit of a dry run. So I think there'll be a, a few selection alterations over the course of three tests. And look at newer players like Ty Byrne has come into the squad. It would be surprised we don't see him perhaps sooner rather than later uh, on this tour. And um, maybe shuffle his cards a little bit like that. I think that would be fairly uh, likely. It's interesting when you see uh, a team that has gone as well as Ireland have over the past year or two. Um, where where are the improvements needed, or or is it if is it a case of improvements, or is it a case of you know um, having contingencies as much as anything? Yeah, perhaps um, it looks as if these games are going to be played in very dry conditions. Um, quite warm here about 20 degrees during the day it's not that warm in the evening time it'll be cool in the evening time but it looks like there'll be dry conditions um, for the most part which will probably mirror those of Japan for the World Cup as well um, I think there's you've always got to keep evolving your game fine tuning it or if you stand still everybody overtakes you he knows now as well that Ireland have been very well analysed by the Australians and everybody else they, they're commanding more respect a bit of a more of a red cross in their collective forwards than ever been the case before I would imagine, for example, in defence, the tendency to be a little bit outflanked out wide um, to defend with better width um, on the outside edges and not be as vulnerable as they've been at times during the Six Nations. It's been a bit of a recurring defensive feature of this team. I think they definitely want to up that, particularly as Australia will provide that kind of threat out wide. You know, about some of the game breakers they have, the width they throw in the game with the likes of Israel Falau, obviously, who's hitting some good form and was rested from the November tour. Um, Kirtley Beale is a playmaker in the middle. Uh, Bernard Foley, that half. The three Warriors boys are going very well um, of late. It looks at the Super Rugby franchise have turned a little bit of a corner in recent times, ending that 40-match losing run against New Zealand sides. So I think that'll be one aspect. Um, I think, as well, Ireland would, would hope to add to their attacking game in the sense that they can become a little bit more effective, although it's difficult to... Um, with their strike plays and to score um, without having to recourse to multiple, multiple phases all the time. Not saying they do that all the time, but maybe just, you know, sharpen their cutting edge as well, make more penetration um, off first phase if they can, and then 
and just striking a bit sooner into their attacking um, armory than they've been the case so far. I think they want to look to add to their attacking game and their defensive game. I think their their breakdown work is excellent. It's almost hard to improve that. Um, they're, they're solid, very solid set piece time. But this will be a chance to see how they go without Rory Best as well. So opportunity knocks most likely for Sean Crone on Saturday. Get their line it right, get their mall going. I think they'll look to really be quite strong up front, take on the Wallabies pack up front. The strong scrum, Greg, Greg Feek has just rejoined the squad from his last two months in Japan as he continues his dual role that he's doing in coaching in Japan and also has been mainly his Irish scrum coach until the conclusion of the World Cup. Perhaps also getting a good insight of what's like going to be like for the squad in Japan. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's lots for them to try, always try and fine-tune and make better. They mm. they will know that they're going to be targeted in a major way by the wallet, but I think you can see them take them on up front and try and some, establish some kind of platform. Maybe look at a few changes in the back line and see, but it would be uh, surprising if Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton don't nail down, that don't, aren't chosen half-back to really try and impose um, themselves on the Wallabies in the first test. The Wallabies haven't played since November. They're going to have a new few new combinations themselves. They're pretty callow at hooker. Um, they're going to probably try a new combination in the back row, like retaining Hooper and uh, Pocock, but bring in a bit more of a line-out specialist maybe in the back row. They're still evolving, and in a sense, Ireland look a bit more settled. But um, you would imagine that they would be targeting this first test as the most winnable on the basis that the Wallabies are sure to improve over the course of the series. It's interesting you were saying... Um, earlier there, Jerry, about you know how how well uh, obviously Australia will have analysed Ireland at this stage. Um, you, you're a fine piece with uh, uh, Will Genia in, in the paper this morning, and I was really struck a couple of times where he talked about how in times when they have played Ireland before or when he's been in teams that they've played Ireland before, they either underestimated Ireland or were kind of ignorant, which was his word, ignorant of, of who they had outside the, the bigger names. That's um, that's not an, an advantage Ireland really are going to have anymore. No, but coming down to the Southern Hemisphere, the big three, New Zealand, South Africa and Australia for a fair while now. And, you know, back in the day, it was just Brian O'Driscoll was about the only player they could reference. And, Genia was in particular talking about the 2011 World Cup pool match in Eden Park. Uh, when he was only 23 himself and had just won his first Super Rugby title with the Queens and Reds, and he was flying high, just broken to Wallaby's team over the previous two years, nailed down the number nine jersey. And he was, I think, Australian rugby writer's Super Player of the Year that year. So, you know, on the crest of a wave, he was a young lad. Um, and they were beaten that night. And in his five meetings with Ireland, he's only had one win. That was in uh, Crow Park. Um, he's uh, one draw and three defeats, including mm. the last two visits to the Viva Stadium uh, in 2016-2014. So um, they would have earned respect, Ireland would have, from Will Genia um, on a very personal level, from Genia's own experiences, but also collectively. You know, when you win a Grand Slam, when you win 12 matches in a row, when you beat the All Blacks, when you beat the Australians in South Africa, when you've risen to number two in the world, you know, you, you demand respect. And uh, I think that's the case now. They have demanded more respect than ever been the case before. But the same token, Mal, it's still a daunting enough challenge for this Irish team when you think that only the last time they won in Australia was in 1979, which is the last time they won a series against one of the big three away from home. And since then, I think, you know, they've only had one win, away win per se, against Australia, South Africa or New Zealand in the intervening times in 79. That was one win at Cape Town. A uh, memorable window was, even then Ireland still lost a series. Yeah. So that gives you a scale of the challenge that they're facing. 
Jerry, no more than Ireland, Australia are really using this um, these series of games to prepare for the World Cup. Where do you see them at in their development and their, their schedule ahead of that? That's a good question, and it's really hard to analyse. If you look at the last two games of their um, end-of-year tour, they were well beaten at Twickenham on the scoreline, 30 points to six, and then conceded over 50 points and eight tries to Scots and Murrayfield. Um, by the same token, there were mitigating factors there. There were two late tries at Twickenham. They were right in the game. They had a couple of tries disallowed. It should have been much, much closer than that. And, of course, they were down to 14 men by half-time in Murrayfield. The, their discipline has cost them hard. They've been conceding a high amount of penalties in those games. But in their last game on Australian soil, one of only two sides to beat the All Blacks since Ireland have done, the others being the Lions, when they won here 23-18 at the Suncorp Stadium in October. So it's hard to put, really put your finger on which is the real Australia. They went seven games unbeaten at one point last season and finished second in the Rugby Championship behind the All Blacks, which is a very credible achievement. You've got to respect any team coached by Michael Checa. He's blooded something like 25 new players since the last World Cup. Um, there'll be a few more, still actually another six uncapped players in this squad, so he hasn't quite settled on a first-choice team or squad to the same degree that Joe Schmidt has. But they're getting there. There is a sense that they're on improvement. And like I said, they, um, they seem to have turned a corner in the, rugby, in the Super Rugby campaign over the last few weeks. Um, the Waratahs especially are playing some magnificent rugby with some of those players I'm t- talking about earlier. Um, and they've a lot of frontline players hitting form at the moment. So I think they could be quite dangerous, to be honest. Um, they, you know, you've always got to respect an Australian side here in Australia. They play a very inventive, clever brand of rugby. They'll play, they look to play high tempo, plenty of width, plenty of offloading. They've got, they've got game breakers and playmakers. Um, I think it's a question of whether Ireland can just deny them enough ball up front and really do what they do best and keep possession for lengthy periods and kind of break 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 Australia down systematically and you know do the right plays at the right times to Murray and Sexton striking the championship minutes maybe before and after half time which they're so good at doing um, build a lead apply scoreboard pressure that's what they're looking to do um, I don't know whether. I think Australia might not be as well capable of coping with that at the, at, in the first test, although you never know. But they should, like I said earlier, they should improve as the series goes on. So this, you think, is a, is a big opportunity for Ireland to actually take the, strike the first blow in this three-match series. If they're going to win the series, you'd imagine they'd have to win the first test. Have you a sense, Jerry, um, of how Cheka is seen over there uh, these days? You know, he's, he's a guy, a figure who won't, won't be forgotten here in a hurry. You know, it's such an outsized guy, such a, a guy with such a, a, a huge effect on, on Leinster and turning Leinster into what they are today. How is he seen over there? Um, that's a good question. I'll get a better handle on that over the next course, course the next few weeks. You're, you're a bit out of the loop here up mm. here in the Gold Coast. You know, Ireland kept a very low profile, did their first media hour today at lunchtime, had a down day Monday, another down day tomorrow. Um, meanwhile, Jekka is up first, that's for sure, nothing less. And he's building Ireland up in a major way, and he's got all the ingredients to do so. Ranked second in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Grand Slam champions, everything we touched on from before. He's been using that in a major way. Um, the ticket sales are very good. The second and third tests are sold out. There's 45,000 tickets sold for the first test in Suncorp Stadium. So I think there's still a sense of belief in him. Um, but I think they need a good season this year for that to be maintained. You, I think he has a lot of credit in the bank from what he did in the World Cup. If you think that he took over a year out and they were at a low ebb and turned him into a serious force at that World Cup, which went all the way to the final. Um, that was quite an achievement. 
and his CV speaks for itself. Uh, he's got a good coaching ticket there around him with Stephen Larkham in charge of their attacking game. And you know one thing from any Michael Checker coach side, they'll be physically up for it. Uh, they'll be up to the fight like any team he's ever coached. And I think generally there's a sense that, yeah, they've turned a corner and they're, they're on the way back again. Jerry, last time we were chatting to you, Joey Carberry was, we, he was rumoured to be on his way to Munster and now the move has finally gone through. What's your take on it now at this point? Do you think this is going to be a move that's going to be both good for Carberry and Ireland? Oh yeah, Ireland were always going to be the winners if, if, if Joey Carberry did decide to move on from Leinster. The only losers in this would be Leinster. Um, it's a good move for Ireland. Potentially a very good move for Joey Carby, but the proof will be in the pudding, of course, like all these things, like any transfer. But he is liable to get a lot more game time in big games, in European Cup pool matches, and potentially knockout games, and Irish Interpro derbies, and so forth, and quite likely alongside Conor Murray as well. So that one can only imagine that would be good for his game. Um, if you think back to the last World Cup when Ian Madigan came in for Johnny Sexton, uh, against Argentina in the quarterfinal. He'd only played six games at out half in the previous 12 months. Now, Ian Madigan wasn't the reason Ireland lost the game. As somebody said to me, it had been a combination of Barry McGann and Johnny Sexton playing that day. Ireland might still have lost, given the start that Argentina made and how well they played that day. But it's Joey Carby's to be the backup out half to um, Johnny Sexton. And of all the out halves available to Joe Schmidt. I still believe he's definitely the second best out half in the country. Then he needs more game time at 10 to understand how to manage a game, just to all the little nuances of out half play. It's probably the position, the pitch that requires the most experience. You know, but generally speaking, there are very few Johnny Wilkins who come along and seem to have it all packed by the time they've turned 20. It's generally a position you have to apply your trade and learn some experience in. And so the more experience for him, the better. I think also, it's a really good move potentially for Munster. You know, they, they've had their issues of how half um, in knockout games in Europe in the last couple of seasons about Tyler Blaindale and Ian Keekley not producing their best games. If you think back to all the European Cups over the years that have been won, it's always invariably been a world-class number 10 as part of the team. And that's particularly true of Ireland when you think of the six European Cup wins that Ireland have had. They were with David Humphreys, Ron O'Gara and Johnny Sexton. Sorry, seven European Cup wins. They were with O'Gara. Humphreys and Sexton at, at, at number 10. And you go across the board, Wilkinson with Toulon, Matt Giddo with Toulon. You can keep going. There's always been class out halves in those teams. And I think it's a little bit of a missing chink in Munster's armory. I think he can get the next factor. Put it this way. If Joey Carberry was, which he is, a New Zealand-born out half, and say he'd just been playing in New Zealand all this time with a super rugby team, but was Irish qualified through parentage and suddenly landed on Munster's door, as this talented 22-year-old player, um, do you think they wouldn't be happy about it? Of course they would be. The only reason there's any kind of misgivings about this, um, and it's more coming from Munster, is that um, he's leaving, he's, it's more coming from Leinster, is that he's leaving Leinster. But I think from a Munster point of view, this is a great signing for them. and That's the way they should look at it. And Munster, knowing Munster as they are, I think they will embrace him um, warmly within the squad. And they will also be, he, he will also be embraced by the Red Army and the Thoman Park faithful and the, the Cork faithful as well, you know, in Musgrave Park. I think it's a really good move all around, potentially. Excellent. And I presume we'll see him uh, a fair bit over the, uh, over the coming weeks as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he's certainly on the bench again on Saturday with a view to maybe starting the second test or the third test along the way. I think I would have thought he's going to get one test start here. If it's Behoven and Carby himself, to make it this kind of move and to get, gain more game time at number 10 provincial level. I think it's also be hoping Joe Schmidt and the coaches to give him some bit more game time as well. 
Well, we will see him and we will hopefully talk to you uh, as the weeks go by. Jerry, thanks a million uh, for taking the call and for helping us out. You're welcome, Malky. And thanks to all the lads who were in earlier. Sean Moore and Nicky English were in earlier helping us with the GEA. Thanks to Pat over here. Thanks, Malky. Declan over there, JJ behind the desk. And uh, thanks to everybody. We will see you again next week, folks. Thanks very much.